listening to the Survival in Motion podcast. Learn, adapt, prepare, survive. Hello, everyone. This is author Cal Wilson. Welcome to another episode of the Survival in Motion podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about some themes that continue on into 2023. And let me just start off by saying, in the first year in many years, I kind of feel like as we count down the minutes and the seconds to the new year, I'm going to be kind of pinching myself, just wondering, am I really going to be surviving 2022? Am I going to make it? (laughs) Is our country going to survive? Is my family going to survive? I mean, even to the very end of this year, my wife was in the hospital a couple weeks. More on that at the very end. But 2022 is just one of those years where I think, man, I'll be glad when this year is over with. If I survive, if we survive, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I'm really wondering. So I wanted to talk about some themes that seem to be kind of getting started in 2022 and continuing on and probably getting worse in 2023. And I'm in the mobile recording studio, as the great Bob Main coined that phrase. Hope you don't mind, and I hope there's not a whole bunch of traffic noise. All right, first off is the economy. Now, the one thing I wanted to focus on if you're skeptical... Now, of course, there are always exceptions to every rule. And in your pocket of the economy, things might be great, or your job situation, things might be great. But there's something that's out there that's pretty reliable, and it's really flashing a really bright red light, and that is the yield curve. And let me explain what that is. There's a yield curve that kind of starts with the shorter-term government bond yield, and then it goes to the longer-term government bond yield. And history has shown that when the yield on very short-term government bonds, when that yield is a lot higher than the 10- and 30-year bonds and their yield, then a recession is straight ahead. And that's been pretty reliable. Now, every once in a while, this flops back and forth. And every once in a while, like the end of 2018, there was a little bit of an inverted yield curve. And a couple of people were saying, aha, you know, but it then flattened out. And then the, the shorter term bonds became lower yield than the longer term bonds. But anyway, right now, it's not even close. And it's been that way for several weeks. Now, anything can change. And I hope I'm wrong. I do. But when the yield curve is this inverted for several weeks like it has been, that means we've got a pretty ugly economy straight ahead. And by that, I mean, I mean it'd probably be negative growth in the economy for a couple of quarters. That's known as a recession. And a lot of layoffs happen. A lot of businesses find that their business dries up. So there's really no escaping it. If you're an employee working for somebody else, don't be surprised if there will be a round of layoffs coming through. And if you have your own business, you're not clear of this either. You'll probably find out that a lot of your potential clients have decided, nah, no, 
or your potential customers will say, no, no, I, I'll put this off, you know. What's going on is the Federal Reserve has raised short-term interest rates in an attempt to lower the United States inflation rate from where it peaked a couple months ago of 9%. They're trying to get it back down to 2%. And there's a decent chance that they might overshoot that. In other words, that they might go down to zero, that inflation might go down to zero or might become negative inflation. And that's known as deflation. And that's really bad. (laughs) So here's the problem with deflation is people say, wait a minute, if prices are actually going down from now on, what's the hurry? You know, instead of buying that car or that clothing or whatever, I'll just wait a little bit longer and wait for the price to go down even more. And then I might buy, you know, that's the rationalization. Anyway, if that happens, I think cooler heads will prevail. And I think the the Federal Reserve will say, oops, wait a minute, we overdid it. So we're going to start cutting interest rates. But until that happens, things are looking bad economically ahead. Now, what to do about it? Like the phrase is, learn, adapt, prepare, survive for this podcast. What's there to do about it? And I don't have a specific answer for this, but I just wanted to suggest that you think about side hustles. I'm going to include in the show notes some links to videos where people will talk about side hustles that they do. And I can say I did a side hustle. In fact, I still do it from time to time related to my main profession. But when things get really slow and you know there's a bill that is coming due two or three weeks from now, and you know you're not going to be able to pay it. So instead of digging into your savings, you know, which is what, let's face it, that's what savings is for. But instead of doing that, wouldn't it be great to have just a side hustle and use that money to pay that bill that's coming up? That's a good feeling. I like that feeling. I I like knowing that in a pinch, I can do something else and go ahead and pay that bill without having to dig into savings. That's a good feeling. So like I said, I'm not suggesting anything specific, but I would want to recommend to you, the listener, just think it over. And there are a ton of side hustles out there. Not all of them involve a computer. Some of these links I'm showing are going to show some teenager and they know everything there is to know about the internet and computers. And (laughs) that doesn't apply to all of us. But just think it over. Think it over. Just picture yourself spending an hour or two a day doing some kind of side hustle and earning extra money that will pay those bills that you know are coming up. Enough of side hustles for a while. Let me talk about something else that I know might be a little more interesting to people who listen to a survivalist podcast like this one. The real estate market is probably heading for some pretty hard times. And if you're thinking about selling something real estate related, you'll know what I'm talking about. Things are looking ugly out there. On the other hand, if you're thinking about buying, if you're thinking about, hey, I might give it a shot. Let's see what I can do with the house. You're in a better situation. On the other hand, it might be difficult to get a mortgage approval in this market, but that can be done. But what I'm leading up to is this. 
I wrote a whole book. It's called Dirt Cheap, Valuable, Survival Retreat. I never pass up the opportunity to (laughs) promote that book on this podcast. However, this is probably the most timely pimping of that book. Realtors might hold up something for sale and they say firm or whatever. Everything is negotiable. Everything, everything, everything is negotiable. And when the housing market, when the multifamily units, you know, apartment complex market, when the commercial real estate market, when the real estate market in general takes, uh, well, maybe not a dive, but it takes a little haircut, guess what sector really takes a dive? Vacant lots. And that was the subject of my book. If you've ever been thinking about setting up a survival retreat of, say, 20, 30 acres, 50 acres, now start thinking that one over. Put that thought on your front burner. If you've got meetings, if you're driving out of town or whatever, take the long way. Take the long way through a countryside area where you could see, eh, I don't know. I'm, I could see maybe setting up a survival retreat out here. And of course, I'll buy Cal Wilson's book on what to do when I get serious about it. But if you find a piece of property that is vacant, here's the idea. There's a creek running through it. <laughs> All right. That's not always the case, but that would be nice. Another thing is you have neighbors on all sides who have erected fences. That's nice too. Another perfection would be you've got friendly neighbors. You've got neighbors who you could see meeting for lunch somewhere. Hey, what's the latest in this area? You know, I'll never forget after my wife and I bought our survival retreat property, we had a neighbor call us up and leave a voicemail. Hey, the county is thinking about screwing one of the neighbors on my side with some kind of easement hiking trail through their property. All the neighbors in this neighborhood are getting together. We're going to the local county meeting and we're going to speak. And of course, we went there. I made a few comments at the podium and we all went down in flames. Apparently, there was a hiking trail from 50 or 70 years ago or something that never quite got closed down. (laughs) So some neighbor, like four or five lots over, bought that property. And I don't know if they should have known beforehand. I don't know. But next thing you know, they're thinking about building a house on that property. And the county notifies them, hey, there's a hiking trail that we're going to, I forget the legal word, reinvigorate or whatever from way over here to way over there, and it's going through your property. And of course, all of us property owners were pissed. (laughs) We showed up at the county meeting. We all made a big stink, and then we all went down in flames. (laughs) We all lost big for that neighbor. But it's a way to kind of get to know neighbors. And we all went out to have lunch together afterwards and kind of licked our wounds together. And it wasn't my property, so I wasn't directly affected. But Stuff like that. You kind of get to know neighbors and enjoy them and friendships develop, that kind of thing. But anyway, I was talking about the perfect property. 
even better than having a creek going through it and well-defined boundaries that are fenced off and maybe even a front fence and then a gate and then a nice dirt road that has a lot of gravel packed into it. Even better than that would be a situation where it's landlocked and there's a property owner between your possible property and the road and they are willing to discuss an easement road. There's also something called easement by necessity, which is more of a forceful thing of that. But anyway, there are a number of issues to consider when you're looking at a vacant lot of, say, 20 to 50 acres to 100 acres, whatever. And now is the time. We might not get to a better time when raw land out in the country is at a lower price. And like I said, everything is negotiable. That's one thing I can say from my line of work. When it comes to negotiations, just go ahead and make a lowball offer. You know, what's the worst that can happen? They'll laugh at you and say, hey, you're kind of silly. Go over there. You know, <laughs> go out of my immediate location. <laughs> I've had that happen to me. I've lived. So who cares? You know, everything's negotiable. Give it a try. And if you get laughed at, somebody says, no, this is a $300,000 property and you're offering $75,000, take a hike, go pound sand, get out of here. Then you can always say, hey, is there something we can talk about? Is there any kind of in-between here? Might there be some kind of owner financing for a little bit more? And keep this in mind. You can look up properties on Zillow, I believe it is, and Zillow will tell you how many days this piece of property has been on the market. And let me tell you, if it's been on the market 150 days, 200 days, 250 days, either the, the landowner is nuts or they know there's a reality out there. They're overpricing their property and you can probably make an offer and you might actually get it accepted for a whole lot less than it's on the market. Keep in mind that real estate agents normally charge 5 to 6%, give or take, And here's something else to keep in mind. What they're expecting is a buyer with a real estate agent of their own getting involved. And then the two real estate brokers having to split that 6% commission. But if you show up and say, hey, can you represent me too? It's known as a dual agency. You'll be amazed at how willing the real estate broker would be, you might have to sign some release about a conflict of interest, whatever. But uh, hey, that would be a real motivator for the real estate agent. So keep that in mind too. All right. At this point, I have to say, this is all just entertainment. This whole podcast is just food for thought. It's something to think about. It's something to make you say, oh, you know, I'd like to think that one over. I'd like to research that issue more. This is not financial advice. This is not legal advice. This is not investment advice. Do your own research. Do your own due diligence. Okay. But keep this in mind that in the days and weeks and months ahead, we could probably be facing a very lousy real estate world out there. And in my experience, what I've noticed the pieces of property for sale that take the biggest dives are vacant lots. Okay, one last thing I wanted to say about vacant lots. And I made this point in that book, Dirt Cheap Valuable Survival Retreat. 
is that let's let's assume you buy a survival retreat. You hook up a few things. You might set up a shed there and you might get a road going in and, and you've got a good gate and a nice fence and all this and the world doesn't come to an end. At that point, think about this property as an investment. And if you're in or around an area that is growing, who knows, 30, 40 years from now, that property might be worth you know, three, four, five times. Might be worth 10 times what you're paying for it today. It might not be, of course. Who can tell the future? But there is an element of investment. Keep that in mind when you're looking into buying a piece of property out in the country. If you buy a piece of property, and I mentioned this in the book, Bob Hope did this. (laughs) He bought vacant pieces of property on the outside of Los Angeles, including a few prime pieces of property in Malibu, which became the fancy, ultra-rich, artsy-fartsy place. His estate still owns property all around what used to be the outskirts of L.A., and now it's surrounded by city. Just keep that in mind. It might be a great investment for you, even if you never have to use it as a survival retreat. So keep that in mind. Okay, one quick thing I wanted to mention, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but this happened in 2013. I remember because it drew me to the news that outside of San Jose, California, there was an attack on an electrical substation. And apparently it was done by pros. It was a bunch of people who showed up in the middle of the night in and around a substation. What's a substation? Well, you see them all around. You're driving around and you see uh, metal, you know, chain link fences surrounding a bunch of transformers and a bunch of power lines go in and a bunch of power lines go out. And it's a very essential part of the electrical grid. Well, anyway, in 2013, outside of San Jose, California, several people in the middle of the night showed up with AK-47s. And we know that they were AK-47s because a bunch of spent casings were found around. And those casings were wiped of fingerprints. So whoever did this knew what they were doing. This was probably a trial run, by the way. They shot up this electrical substation. Okay, a few weeks ago, the same thing happened in North Carolina. So I don't have a conclusion here. All I can say is keep this issue on your mental radar screen that it's possible to shut down the grid by physically attacking electrical substations all around the United States at the same time. Because with one-off attacks like this, the electrical companies can work around that and they can reroute electricity and that kind of thing. But if a bunch of electrical substations were all physically attacked all at the same time, then we might have a much bigger problem on our hands. So I'm not suggesting anything aside from just keep this on your mind. It might be a good idea to stock up on generators and keep this in mind that if the electrical grid shuts down, they might be, they being the bad guys, they might finally have figured out how to do it all at the same time. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. The electrical grid in this country is vulnerable. And I think the bad guys are out there 
just figuring out where the vulnerabilities are. So keep that in mind. Okay, on to my next issue, which is, let's face it, political. But I'm not going to be jumping on a soapbox and preaching political points. But I will say this, that it has been a chestnut of the United States. It's been one of those unofficial rules. It's probably not written down anywhere. But the peaceful transfer of power in the United States began, I think it was John Adams who was the president after George Washington. He was president for four years, and then, I believe it was Thomas Jefferson, they developed political parties, and the opposition won. And there was a peaceful transfer of power in the United States. Now, you hear this in other countries as well, other countries that are healthy democracies. We're starting to see some chinks in the armor as far as that goes. Now, there's something about Donald Trump who, you know, I thought Ronald Reagan was hated by the left. But, you know, Donald Trump just has a way of just infuriating members of the left, Democrats. That might be part of the appeal, is just kind of throwing a hornet's nest into the middle of a bunch of people you think have it too easy, you know? (laughs) And he's had something like 98% negative media coverage. I don't think anybody could survive that. So there's a little bit of, well, come on, what do you expect? Yeah, okay, I get it. I understand that. But it's part of what makes this democracy in the United States a stable democracy is that you don't have to worry of the opposition winning and that the losing party might face criminal charges or might get thrown in jail or or whatever. And I remember driving home from work, I think it was August 8th, just thought I'd uh, mosey on over and check out the news. And then I saw that FBI agents were raiding Mar-a-Lago in Florida. I pulled over. I thought, wait, 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 wait. Did I just read that right? The FBI is conducting a raid on the home of a former president? I don't care what they're looking for. I mean, this better be a big deal. And of course it was not. It was some kind of back and forth on presidential documents that one side thought, no, you shouldn't have taken off with those documents. The other side said, no, this is okay. It's been done before. You know, a little back and forth. But the FBI raids Mar-a-Lago, are you crazy? And now there's been a special prosecutor put in place. And this guy's a real partisan, by the way, to look into filing criminal charges against Donald Trump. You know, this is not good. It's almost like the ship is sailing right now. The next Republican president who gets into office who defeats a Democrat who is sitting in office. I think the question will legitimately be asked, hey, I wonder what criminal charges are going to be facing that outgoing president. And then back and forth and back and forth. Eventually, this country will become less of a stable democracy. There was a podcast episode I recorded, I think it was over a year ago. There's a great historian I talked about, who said that basically every great, strong empire lasts almost exactly 250 years. 
And you might say, well, what about the Roman Empire? Well, there was the golden age of the Roman Empire. That was exactly 250 years. The British Empire, 250 years. The, the Portuguese Empire, you know, the Persian Empire, they had their own empire. All of these empires last almost exactly 250 years. Well, here we are, the United States, I think we're about 240 years old. So this might be one of several things that will lead to the fraying of the edge. And, and I hope I'm wrong, by the way. This does not make me happy to make this observation quasi-prediction. But here we are. It's one of those things that makes the United States a secure, stable democracy, and it's going right out the window. So here we are. It's another thing to keep in mind. Our country is less stable of a democracy than we used to be. Okay, on to my last topic here. The phrase learn, adapt, prepare, survive, kind of in my mind as I talked to you about this last topic, which is that my wife was in the hospital for two weeks with pneumonia. Now, she had other things. Supposedly, she had COVID. I had just tested her on COVID, and it was negative. But there you have it. The doctor says, no, she had COVID. The doctor also said she had the flu, and then she had pneumonia. She had real shortness of breath, serious shortness of breath. And with pneumonia came sepsis. That's where there's a whole bunch of bacteria in your blood system. And pneumonia kills a person by constricting the oxygen that they get into their system and running up a bunch of bacteria in your blood system. So it was really bad. I'm happy to say my wife is home now. She's still recovering. And let me tell you about pneumonia. Pneumonia is horrible. I mean, the more I learn about pneumonia, the more I think, you know, maybe I should have a podcast episode just on pneumonia. I think it's the sixth biggest cause of death in the United States. And it always starts with just a cough and you feel like you've got a cold. And Well, I'll throw this and I'll make it through. There's a friend of a friend who had this just ongoing cough. He thought, yeah, this is kind of a bummer, but I'll get through it. You know, I've had other coughs. And, and then this friend of mine told me that his friend said, okay, I'll make an appointment with a doctor, see what he has to say tomorrow. And he died on the couch watching TV. And remember Jim Henson, Jim Henson, look him up and notice how he died. He had the same thing. He thought it was just kind of an annoying cough or cold that he couldn't shake it. And he had a couple of trips to fly back and forth. And his last trip, he was flying, I think, from North Carolina back to New York. And he just started thinking, no, this is a little bit worse. This is worse than just a standard cold or cough or whatever. And by the time he made it to the hospital, it was too late. And among his last words were, hey, can you die of this? Apparently you can. Pneumonia is bad, bad news. And don't be surprised if I come out with a podcast episode just on pneumonia. I had walking pneumonia a few years ago. It's not even close. Walking pneumonia, you take some azithromycin for a few days and you're good to go. And I was good to go. It was nothing. It was nothing compared to what I saw with my wife. And she spent four days in intensive care, by the way. It was really, really bad. 
the reason why I'm bringing this up, I could use the sympathy, of course, but the main thing is this phrase I've heard by well-meaning people, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. I've heard that phrase about 20 to 30 times in the last week or so. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Now, I've actually given that phrase. I've made that comment to other people who were in that situation. And of course, I've meant it. And there have been times when if you're a part of an active church, that active church will say, okay, you there, you live kind of near that guy whose wife or mother or whoever is in the hospital, get them some dinner and drop it off. And I've been on the giving end of that. And I've actually, interestingly enough, maybe about 10 years ago, I was driving home from work, minding my own business. I get a call from the pastor of my church. Hey, I know you're coming home from that location, and we have a church member in this address. They need some dinner, and somebody's sick. They can't fix it for themselves. Okay, no problem. I went by Boston Market. Now, this is something to keep in mind. I went up to the front door with two full bags of dinner. And I thought I would get invited in and, hey, thank you very much. And the recipient was very touchy about accepting charity, which this was. And I kind of, hey, how's it going? Here, here's your, you know, you know and the, the door got slammed in my face. Anybody who has problems accepting charity, now's the time to get over it. And I have no qualms. I have no problems. You know, my wife is home now. I'm taking care of her. I'm having to administer intravenous antibiotics as she continues her recovery. I have no problem accepting charity. No problem. Anybody who does, get over it. But when you hear of a neighbor, of a friend, of a relative, and somebody is in the hospital or somebody is gravely ill, let me just steal this phrase from Nike, just do it. Just do it. The most touching thing I read on the internet about this situation was a husband and wife in the kitchen, you know, pondering their horrible situation. One of them had cancer. And then they hear this commotion out in the front yard. What the heck is that? They go out there and it's their neighbor cutting their front yard grass. This is a neighbor they only knew in passing. Hi, how's it going? You know, as they drive down. Not all neighbors are bosom buddies, you know. (laughs) And apparently this neighbor, they barely knew each other. But this neighbor had heard. The wife has some very horrible health problems coming up. And, you know, when you are in that situation, you just don't think about the day-to-day stuff. That's why I think that that phrase, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. That presumes that the person you're saying that to still has the frame of mind. They're thinking, okay, I got to get some groceries and I got to clean the dishes here. I got to put the garbage out on the street. Uh, No, they're not thinking about that. That's why it's a well-meaning phrase, but you're like ships in the night, you know, passing each other. A person with a spouse who is gravely ill, they're not thinking about what they might need day to day. So just do it. Go out with your lawnmower. Cut the grass in their front yard. If they're in a neighborhood where they need their garbage put out on the street the night before garbage day, do it. You know, there was a friend of mine at church, not a great friend, but I heard that he came down with brain cancer and his wife had gotten a hospital bed in the den, you know, on hospice, that kind of thing. 
And I knew I had a free day coming up Thursday. So I showed up Tuesday, just knocked on the door. I said, hey, wife, I've been following what's been going on. I'm coming by Thursday. And my intention was, I'm going to start with the laundry. I'll put everybody's laundry in the washing machine, get that going, go to the kitchen, do the dishes, get that going, go back to the laundry room, put the wash in the dryer, and then go back to the kitchen, put all the dishes back where they used to be, then clean up the kitchen, empty all the trash. That's what I was going to do. I was going to spend a whole afternoon doing this. And I could tell just her facial expression, what she was going through. And she was a little bit uh, hesitant about accepting charity, I know, which she shouldn't have been. But I said, I'm coming by on Thursday, just so you know. Okay. And then I left. And then I got a call the next day. Some in-laws from a couple states over were driving over. And that's what they wanted to do. All right. So I was out of a gig. But that's the thing you need to do. If you have a neighbor, friend, if you have a relative and somebody's in the hospital or, or gravely ill, just go and do it. Just show up. Say, I'm going to do this. Here's some food. Here's dinner. And by the way, let me clean your dishes. Let me throw out your trash. Stuff like that. I'd like to emphasize again, you might mean well when you say, hey, let me know if there's anything I can do. I would recommend a Safeway gift card or a grocery store gift card. But see, that assumes that they have time and they're thinking about what groceries they need. A lot of times, that's just not the case. So instead of doing that, what you might do is knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here to assess what groceries you need. Look in their pantry, look in their refrigerator, and just think to yourself, okay, if I was living here, what would I want? You know, it looks like they're missing some butter here. Okay, I'll get some butter, milk, whatever. They need. might need some uh, bottled water. They might need, I don't know, some lasagna, something that could warm up quickly, you know, for a dinner. And just go and do it. And that's how you can be the most helpful for people in that situation. And that's what a few of our friends at church are planning for us. And I greatly appreciate it. I think we don't need as much as what they're planning on doing, but I have no problem accepting the help that is being offered to us, and I greatly appreciate it. Anyway, in closing, I wish all of our listeners here a great Christmas. Don't forget that Christmas is a celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's probably not the exact day, but I've done some research and I've read other research. I think it's close to the actual day of Christmas, the actual birthday of Jesus. I made this point a few podcast episodes ago. Remember, when you look in the news and you think, as do I, that this is nuts, there's a lot going on out there that is absolutely crazy. Just remember what is said in the 118th Psalm, this is the day that the Lord has made, meaning that God is still in control. His ways are not our ways. This is not what I would enable to go on. I mean, the the news out there is nuts. It's crazy. But remember, we're all just passing through. Those of us who are Christians, this is not really our world. We're just passing through. So this is the day the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it, and God is still in control. I hope you have found today's episode of the Survival in Motion podcast entertaining and informative. 
I hear the music, which means our time is up. Thank you for joining me. God bless.